Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Come on, we always say it, we mean it, and we think it's true. So, let's see what the buzz on the street is today. Okay, we're going to get a little technical. Listen closely, but it will make sense once I bring my three expert panelists on. Here's a quote from Scott Belsky, VP of Products and Community at Adobe. Listen up. Very, very few words, very big impact. He says, rule of thumb for UX, that's user experience, more options than problems. Okay, think about all the times you are the user experiencing the experience on the other side of an app. You don't want problems. You want options that you can understand that are relevant, that are personal to you, that make sense, and that give you something you need or want. So what's our context today? In our fast-moving digital economy, and yes, it is digital, many companies don't have the people on board, whether they're full-time inside or they're contractors or some other way of getting the skills, don't have the people who have the UI design skills to create enterprise-strength applications that do a couple of things. Number one, you want your applications to help your employees perform their jobs efficiently, maybe even relieve them of some of the mundane ho-hum, pencil pushing, we used to call it busy work. And you want to have applications that delight your customers, delight your stakeholders, delight your vendors, delight the world. Is this important? Absolutely, yes, it is. Why does it matter? Well, think about it. Easy to use, appealing user experiences, and personalized apps help drive a couple of things. Business agility, that's what you need. They optimize processes, yes, that's the speed of doing business, and they accelerate your digital transformation journey. Think about the title of this series, Partnerships Changing the Game for Digital Transformation. So we've tied it all up in a neat bow. We're going to be talking to three experts in this field. They're going to share with us some UI, that's user interface and UX user experience, design building blocks to help you convert big data scenarios, you've got so much data out there, into value-add user experiences. That's the goal. So welcome. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and let me tell you who our special panelists are today. I'm not going to introduce them yet. I'm just going to tell you their titles and their companies. First up in a moment, I will be introducing Paul Moderman. He calls himself a software craftsperson. I got that from his bio, and I loved it so much I put it in here. His official title, Senior Product Architect and Technology Evangelist at Mindset Consulting. That's a big business card, Paul. Joining him on the panel is Dirk Newman, the founder and CEO of Briskin. And we'll find out from both Paul and Dirk what their companies do. And rounding out the panel is Torsten Leidek. Global VP of Ecosystem SAP Cloud Platform Go-To-Market at SAP. So we have three people who are really deeply involved and engaged in this topic, and we're going to learn a lot from them. So let's talk to Paul Moderman. Paul has sent me a quote from, well, one of our all-time favorites, Dr. Maya Angelou. Anybody too young to know, or if you've been hiding under proverbial rock, Maya Angelou was born Marguerite Annie Johnson in 
1928. She passed away just three years ago in 2014. She was an American poet, memoirist, civil rights activist. She published seven autobiographies. That's right, seven. Most of us have trouble thinking of one. Three books of essays, books and books of poetry, and was credited with plays, movies, TV shows spanning over 50 years. And the book that made her the most famous was her first, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, published in 1969, which tells of her life up to the age of 17 and brought her international recognition and acclaim. If you want to know more, look her up. Here's the quote. People will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. Paul Moderman, I love this quote. How are you, Paul? I'm doing great, Bonnie. And actually, you, you gave me a good a little bit to think about as you were doing the intro because you, you talked about delighting people. And I was, I was thinking about this, and so the, 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 the question I have is, do you remember the first date or encounter with your spouse or special someone? I you, do. You probably do, but you yeah. probably don't remember exactly what you said to this person or exactly what you did, but you mm-hmm. do remember precisely how that made you feel. That was the yep. thing that made the most impact. And for me, that's, that's the same with my, with my wife. Also, my, you know, my daughter, I, was, I hung out with her uh, last weekend doing some really fun fall stuff. And I don't remember exactly all the things we did, but I remember exactly how it made me feel. And that had the biggest impact on me in the process. And I think the same thing can apply to enterprise applications. Because, because people, when people feel that, that energy of, of this thing caused me to, to feel delight, how, how this app made me feel, that carries forward into everything you do for your business. So I think, I think design of a user experience that creates delight in a person, they'd never forget that, and they bring that forward into everything the business does. Very interesting. That's, that's real impact. Paul, that is impact. Now, tell me, is that impact the branding? Is that the first door into that window that translates to the bottom line? Is it the brand? Is it the reputation? Is that feeling, yes, I want to do business, whether it's a consumer business, whether it's a B2B? Where does that come in, that feeling, that sentiment? How does that play into so, everybody's looking at bottom line? Yeah, so it, it, I, think that, I think it goes two directions. One is absolutely that brand experience of how does this thing make me feel and well, how, do, how, how am I emotionally engaged with a thing that's happening. But also, if you look at a big enterprise, you have thousands or tens of thousands of people inside that enterprise doing things for that enterprise. So if they have an experience that they love with the traditionally garbage uh, user experience of enterprise software, and all of a sudden it turns around into a great thing that they feel better about, they bring that that that's the heartbeat of the business internally. And that, that can transform a business from the inside out. Is Thank you very people, much. Your internal people, that experience. Great, great, great at both levels. And thank you because you are echoing what I said in my opening. Thank you, Paul. Pleasure to have you on. And we'll talk to you in a little while about where you are, what you do, and what's in your cup today. That's part of our getting to know our panelists a little bit later. So thanks for kicking this off. And now we'll turn to our second panelist, Dirk Newman, founder and CEO of Briskin. That's B-R-I-S-K-E-N. And Dirk has selected a quote from Mahatma Gandhi, a little background, Mohandas Karat. 
Karam Chand Gandhi, a Hindustani, 1869 to 1948. He was the leader of the Indian independence movement against British rule. And Mahatma is an honorific. In Sanskrit, it means high-souled or venerable. It was first applied to him in 1914 in South Africa and used worldwide. In India, he's also called Bapu and Gujarati, endearment for father and papa, and unofficially he is known as the father of the nation. So here's the quote, very well known as well, be the change that you wish to see in the world. Dirk Newman, welcome to Game Changers. How are you, Dirk? I'm very good. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you for having Thanks me. For, oh, Are we're you? delighted. Talk to me about this quote. How did you pick it, and, and who's making the change, and uh, what is it that people want to see in the world through their app dev? Talk to me. You know, in, in fact, this is a quote I picked up when I was probably 13 or 14 years old, and uh, ever since, I kind of made it, made it my own. Uh, so it guided me through certain types of decisions when I needed to make up my mind, and maybe between waiting for somebody else to do something for me or, or do it myself. Um, but, you know, in the context of, of me at the time back in rural Germany, I kind of in, interpreted it probably a little bit out of context as well, mm-hmm. simply by saying, okay, well, if, if you want something to change, well, you probably got to do it yourself. Now, there's nobody else who's going to do that for me. And uh, that is probably not exactly how Gandhi meant it when he... Um, he said this. Although, um, a little side note here as well, I mean, um, with respect to, to historians, there is some disagreement on whether it was really Gandhi who said this, but um, for me, certainly it was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but when he said it, I think um, what he meant is, is to be part of the change, to, to be, you, you need to push for it. You shouldn't wait for something to happen. Yeah, but um, the other side of, of being able to do your change is you need to be empowered as well to do that change. Now, you need to have the means and the possibility to do that. And I, when I apply this to my children, that it means I don't want to give them all for free and to make it very easy on them. I want to make them able to, to come about their own change, to make their own changes, and to form wherever they want to go. So if they have an objective, then they should go after it. I can support them but I can't do it for them. And that's what I always tell them. And I think that is the same situation, be it in a team, be it in a, an entire population, or be it in our company. Yeah. So in, the, in that context, I see how, how this quote relates to our topic today as well. So basically, Thank it's not you. enough. Yeah. Sorry, I just wanted Very, to, 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 yeah, to, to explain. So it's not enough to, from top down, explain what this UI changes and what is user experience and... That, that's simply not enough. You need to make the users, your employees, your people, you need to be, make them able actually to, to come about with this change. And for, them, for that, they need to be empowered. They need to have the rights to change things. They need to be able to contribute to a project, for example, or have a say in how they want to work. Thank you. All very, very good points, Dirk. Thank you for... Now, what we're doing, it seems to me, is we're humanizing the topic because we talk about app dev. People think, oh, they're talking bits and bytes. They're in the weeds. They're going to talk about technicalities, but it all comes down to the people, the people behind the development, the people who are designing the apps and thinking about it, about the end users, whether they're inside the company or outside the company. So thank you for putting that human touch on this. And now, waiting patiently in the wings is Torsten Lydak 
at SAP, and Torsten has sent us a quote from Frank Lloyd Wright. Frank Lincoln Wright was his full name, apparently, his birth name, 1867 to 1959, American architect, interior designer, writer, and educator. He designed more than 1,000 structures. Uh, More than half of them, 532, were completed. Uh, His philosophy was best exemplified by Falling Water, that's in 1935, called the best all-time work of American architecture, and his creative period spanned more than 70 years. If you don't know who he is, look him up, young people out there. Very interesting man and integral to modern architecture. So here is the quote that Torsten has selected from Frank Lloyd Wright. Quote, The architect should strive continually to simplify. The ensemble of the rooms should then be carefully considered that comfort and utility may go hand in hand with beauty. Torsten, I just want to sit back and say, ah, that's a beautiful quote, Torsten. How are you, Torsten Leidek? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you, Bonnie. And I'm really, you know, impressed by this quote as well. I mean, as you said, right, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright is likely one of the most prolific and renowned architects here of the 20th century. And I had the pleasure when I was in Arizona to really visit personally some of his buildings. And when you walk in, you're amazed by the design, the feeling, and the atmosphere. And so when we talk about user experience, user design in the business context and talk about digital transformation, right? I mean, I think there's a great analogy and I think everybody can relate to architecture because we all live in buildings and work in buildings or live in homes and there are certain things which are important. And I think those kind of elements around functional use, but also feeling the energy when you come into a building, when you relax at your home, that it's cozy, that you like it, that you want to spend time there, and that you really want to also change and work with it and, you know, make it really feel special. This is exactly, you know, what we need to accomplish when we design applications and when we design functionality in the business world so that every user, every professional who is exposed to that really loves to use it and is getting excited about it and is basically trying to, you know, not just um, use it as a tool, but also think about how can you make this even better and feed this back to the people who have created that. Now, maybe one more comment why I like Frank Lloyd Wright. You know, he's obviously, you know, not just a designer and somebody who has used new technologies, but he has also responded to some of the transformation which was going in the society when, after the, when in the early 20th century, you know, um, servants become less more absent in American homes. So he created his open space and he really transformed the way how architecture has and rooms have been designed prior to that. So that's why I think it's a really great example how transformation can uh, exist and how it looks like and how you can basically embark on a journey from where you are today to the future. Thank you, Tristan. Very eloquent explanation. I will tell you that I just Googled Frank Lloyd Wright on Twitter, and there is a handle, Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, Taliesin, T-A-L-I-E-S-I-N. I believe that was the uh, his estate in 1914, and the, the tagline here or the explanation is, Transforming People's Lives Through the Living Experience of Frank Lloyd Wright's Body of Work. And I think that's what you were 
part of what you were trying to say. So thank you very much. Very eloquent. Torsten, I have one question for you. The key word that jumped out at me besides beauty, utility, comfort, which in a way do apply to all, we hopefully apply to all the apps we're using in the world today, uh, the word simplify. He ended the first phrase, the architect should strive continually to simplify. Is that the goal of good UX design today? Torsten? I think it really is, right? Because why is simpli- simplification important? Um, first, obviously, you know, you want to make life of people and the user easy, you know. And if you create something which is complicated and convoluted, you know, everybody hates it. So I think, you know, it's very important when you design your application or any solution that you really think about what is really the use case, which kind of problem do you want to use, and really focus on the functionality which is really addressing this kind of issue. You need a clean design that, as I said, it's easy to consume, um, and you re- basically remiss, uh, remove all the whistle and belts because all this is just a distraction. Of course, a solution can evolve and there can be functionality added. That's not what I mean by simplification. I really think you know that everybody, when you, uh, that when you... Um, click phone solution, it needs to be intuitive, you know, it needs to be easy to use, you don't need any big explanation and it needs to address the business purpose and the issue which you want to get or the process which you're going to manage in a very effective way and this is what I mean by simplification. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Now let's go around the table and find out a little bit about our first two panelists because they're newcomers here and they're not from SAP. So we want to find out what their companies do. I'm going to start with Paul Moderman at Mindset Consulting. I like the name of your company, Paul. Tell me, what does Mindset Consulting do? Just give us a 60-second overview and tell us where you're calling from today and what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world because this is a segment called What's in your cup today? Paul Moderman, you're up. Okay, so what's in my cup today is my favorite soda, Mellow Yellow, because it is the sweetest one, and my dentist loves me for that. Um, my, actually, my cup today is the mug my wife gave me for our wedding. She gave me a, a metal mug with an engraving on it, and I put it in the freezer, and then I put my Mellow Yellow in that mug, and I'm ready to drink it, so that's... That's what's in my cup today is the, the mellow yellow from the, in the mug from my wife. Um, Mindset Consulting is a design-centric company with three pillars. The first pillar is consulting services. So we offer SAP, SAP expertise embodied in a person to various customers around the U.S. and around the world. Um, this is typically at the, customers, at the customer's behest of something specific that they want a person resource for. We also offer focused solutions. So a customer comes up to us with a problem and then we staff a team of people to develop solutions for that problem. Typically in the user interface, user experience space, but not limited to that. Um, A lot of times in analytics and things like that as well. And finally, the third pillar of our company is products. So we have several certified products that we offer for sale as well as uh, we continue to invest in research and development labs, R&D, to, to create more things and try to push the boundaries of, of our skills and where the marketplace is going to go in the future for enterprise software. 
Thank you very much. And I have to tell you, I was so curious about Mellow Yellow. When I looked it up, I put in the Mellow with the W and Yellow with the W. And, of course, I got the YouTube page from Donovan's (laughs) 1967 song, They Call Me Mellow Yellow. I try not to sing on the radio, but sometimes, Paul, I just cannot help myself. They call me Mellow Yellow. So then I looked up Soda, and it was M-E-L-L-O-Y-E-L-L-O. I'm looking at the can. I have seen this. It's a highly caffeinated. We'll talk about that later. Citrus flavored soft drink produced and distributed by distributed by the Coca Cola Company, introduced in March first, nineteen seventy nine, to compete with Pepsi's Mountain Dew. Very, very interesting. And they banned it in Australia in the nineties. Did you know that, Paul? I did not. Huh. Yeah, they they replaced it with an uncaffeinated drink called Lift, L-I-F-T. We'll just leave that one alone. Thank you very much. And now let's go back to our second panelist. Thank you, Paul. Dirk Newman, founder and CEO of Briskin. So, Dirk, three questions for you. Where are you calling from? What's in your cup today? Or what would you rather be drinking or drinking it from, if you want to talk about the vessel, the cup? And what does Briskin do? Go ahead, Dirk. Well, right. Thank you. Thank you for um, being able to talk about what I would rather be drinking because right now I'm on a <laughs> glass of water. So um, I'm right now I'm calling up from Sunnyvale. So um, breathing startup air and well, probably some ashes as well still. But, um, but our company is based out of Houston, Texas and Sao Paulo in Brazil. Uh, personally, though, I, I really come from uh, Germany, of course, and I just moved back from Texas to Karlsruhe, close to um, SAP in Waldorf. Uh, so I can uh, look after our European business there, business there. In my cup, I'd wish, I'd love to see Caipirosca. Caipirosca is a Brazilian alcoholic beverage. It's a cocktail, really, that is um, made out of lime and sugar. And in my case, I prefer the vodka version of it. So it's, uh, that's why it's called Caipirosca. And um, it, it really is because for me, it symbolizes all the the fraternizing and the good times you spend, or I spent in Brazil when I used to live there. Uh, usually on the weekends, you like the barbecue and um, you sit around with the friends and family and then you share Kaipiroska. It's a single drink that then everybody got accustomed for the German to mix the Kaipiroska. And um, so you do one big glass and you share it and when it's done, then basically go back and to do some more. So that's what it reminds me of and why it is my favorite drink. We are now, delighted. I found it. Yeah, I just want to tell you, I found it, C-A-I-P-I-R-O-S-K-A. It's a form of caprata, ha, 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 capirana, prepared with vodka instead of the usual cachaca. And it, here's the recipe. I, I'm really mispronouncing this. Here's the recipe. 60 milliliters or two U.S. fluid ounces of vodka, a half a lime cut into wedges, one teaspoon of brown sugar, teaspoon of raw or turbinado sugar, crushed ice in an old-fashioned or highball glass, squeeze the juice from the lime into the glass, place one of the wedges in the glass, add the sugar, muddle the sugar with the lime wedges. Don't overdo it. You don't want to lose too much of the oils and make it bitter. Pour in the vodka, stir until the sugar is dissolved, add the crushed ice, stir to melt some of the ice, garnish with more lime, and serve. Oh my, is that the right one, Dirk? It is the right one, it is the right one, and the secret lies in the fine nuances, so it's exactly what your recipe just said, don't, don't, don't overdo it, but also don't come short on the squilling and squashing and, and all of that, and it makes the secret. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, yes, this is the part where we have have the most fun, but we have a lot of fun talking about the topic as well. And now let's get to Torsten Leidig. Torsten, where are you calling from? What do you love to drink most in the whole wide world? And you can tell us briefly what you do at SAP. Go ahead, Torsten. 
Yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah, I'm calling in actually today from Sleepy Hollow, New York, the home of the mm. Atlas Horseman, for those who are familiar with the legend. Yes. Um, oh, and, wow. you know, I relocated from Germany 10 years ago to the U.S., and the thing which is still something which is working since then, what we moved is our espresso machine from Italy. So my most favorite drink, and it's exactly in front of me, is a latte macchiato, uh, which is a layered drink where... Other than, you know, in most other cappuccinos or cafe lattes, the espresso milk. And then on top, there's a beautiful foam. And it's important that you have the right temperature so that the milk has the right temperature, so that the foam gets the right texture, and so that you can put nicely sprinkles on top of it so that you get a beautiful and tasty and very appealing, you know, obviously color code, but also taste. Um, so what I'm yeah, doing what do you at do? SAP, yeah. I'm driving what we call the SAP Cloud Platform Ecosystem. So we work with partners like, obviously, Aprisk and Mindset Consulting to help them leverage our SAP Cloud Platform technology, um, the development platform to build out innovations and to help guide customers through the digital journey and enable them with agile innovations. Thank you very much. And uh, Torsten, forgive me, but I looked up, of course, latte macchiato, and I found out, do you know the meaning of the word macchia, which comes a little bit of macchiato? Do you know that meaning? No, no I don't. Okay. It means spot, a little spot. It's the little spot of crema left on top of the milk to distinguish clearly that the beverage is a latte macchiato and not a cafe latte where the espresso has been added before the milk and has no mark on the top. Don't you feel smarter now, Torsten? <laughs> yeah, I do. I'm really impressed. <laughs> I warned the three of you on the prep call. I'm very fast on the Google search, and this just makes it a little more personal. For the three of you, you don't know me. Of course, now I know you better than you know me, but they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. And this is already my second show this morning. I was on the air an hour ago. So all I'm allowed to have is water, cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug. I've got a beautiful pink straw here because I, I relocated from Long Island, New York. After being there 34 years, I came down to Durham, North Carolina eight weeks ago. So I'm looking out at my garden from my beautiful home office. We had a tornado watch last night, and I'll just toss this out to the three of you. Talking about app design, the TV broadcast above the shows, there was a warning from the Weather Center down here, and it said tornado watch until 2.23 a.m. I want to know what kind of an app told them to tell us. So I hope people didn't wait up till exactly 2.23 a.m. for the tornado watch to be done. So I have to tell you, it was a lot of rain, a lot of noise, all the vents on the outside of my house, outside the fireplace and outside. Everyone's going, bop, bop, It sounded like a drum chorus outside for hours, and then it quieted down in time for me to get some sleep. So here we are. So I have my water. That's all I'm allowed. We are talking about a very important topic that we don't usually get into here on Game Changers, And I have to do a shout-out to Pamela Dunn at SAP for putting together this very, very smart panel and really interesting topic. The topic is app dev. Let me translate application development. We're talking about UI, the user interface, but most important, UX, the user experience, why it's important for the excellence and what it has to do with your company's 
digital transformation. We're going to take a very quick break. We're almost halfway through the show, but we have been talking about the topic. My very special guests are Paul Moderman at Mindset Consultant, Dirk Newman at Briskin, and Torsten Lydek at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I still play it after the break. So don't even think of touching that map, that app, that oh, everything, that app, that dial, that phone, however you found us. Don't go away. 90 seconds. We'll be right back. Aaron, out. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The digital world is moving faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. The definition of future success is being shaped by many factors, such as more digitally demanding employees, customers, and partners, an increasing variety of digital devices, resource scarcity coupled with data abundance, and demand for innovation to help the world run better and improve people's lives. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how moving to the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Partnerships, changing the game for digital transformation is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to partnerships, changing the game for digital transformation. Indeed. Let's get back to our topic, app dev, application development, the excellence, importance of user experience, user design, and what it has to do with your company's digital transformation. Let's start our roundtable formally with Paul Moderman at Mindset Consulting. And Paul told me the following before the show. Now, listen up, everyone. This is important. He says, empathy in design has a thousand times the impact of rigorously bulletproof code. This is a quotable moment, Paul. I'm going to tweet it. So go ahead, Paul. Tell us what this all means in our context, please. Paul Moderman? Bonnie, what I'm trying to say there is... Yep. Uh, this is so from... Uh, I, spend, I still spend some of my day in a code editor producing code. Don't get me of code. But the, the point of that... User experience is a topic. The, the word experience means. I think we're having trouble with his line. Um, I, yeah, we're going to, you know what? We're, Paul is there, but his line is deteriorating fast, his phone line. So I'm going to get Dirk to comment on this and then Torsten, and we're going to see if we can get Paul back on a cleaner line so we can hear him. Dirk, I know you'll have something to say about this. Empathy in design has a thousand times the impact of rigorously bulletproof code. Dirk Newman at Briskin, why don't you talk to me about this till we get Paul back? Yes. No, no, absolutely. I mean, this, this is really the, the empathy 
um, topic of, of the whole user interface and user experience question. Yeah, so empathy, the feeling, the what, what you really want to get the user to experience when he's actually looking or working with your app, when he's uh, faced with your user interface. And um, there's nothing that even that bulletproof code can do if the user experience itself is not worth it. If the user sits in front of an application where he doesn't know where to go, where to click, it's uh, convoluted, there's too much information, it doesn't bring the information he'd like, or he has to navigate through too many screens. I mean, it might be perfect code behind it, but mm -hmm. the reality is if the empathy is not there, if the personalized user experience is not there, then the user will simply not, not adopt the solution. He will not buy it. Right? He will not feel empowered by this solution or by this app that he actually will be able to do his job better. We have been Thank to, to similar situations in, in projects where you do all the development, and this is in the, in the old days in a way, but um, when we didn't have technology like today to easily design user interfaces and we didn't have the the um, design thinking um, method or approach to developing this, the applications, but we would develop something that would purely technically resolve the question for the user. We would pile as many fields as possible onto the interface so it would make it more efficient from a programming perspective. But the result would usually be that the user may even maybe use it, but if he could, he would probably still avoid it and find some other mm, way because it didn't buy into the idea. Yeah, avoid it is what you're trying. You're trying to avoid the, the user avoiding it. We have Paul Moderman back, hopefully on a better line. Paul, this was your topic, and yes. Dirk was waxing very eloquent on what it means to him. He had a lot of high points. So, Paul, why don't you, you pick up the pace here and uh, tell us what your thoughts are when you said this. So, yeah, so what my thoughts were, and I, I don't know how much of my – I rambled on for 10, 15 seconds before somebody finally got to me and said me the connection was bad. So what I was going – User experience, the key word there to me is experience, because mm -hmm. the, the, the most important thing is what happens inside somebody's head, not on the screen. So if, you're, if, if your users, in whatever case, internal, external, are having a positive psychological experience using the application, then I think that's probably even more important than necessarily saving a click here and there. We talk a lot about saving clicks and saving time and streamlining screens and all that kind of good stuff. And that's important. But I would rather have a process leave somebody happy or satisfied and take slightly longer than save two or three clicks because they take that satisfaction, that experience, and that plows forward into other things that people do for businesses. So internally, if I'm happy, this is going to sound crazy, if I'm happy entering my timesheet, which I think nobody likes, <laughs> you know. But if I'm happy doing that, or if I'm at least more satisfied doing that, I have that extra little tiny bit of gas in my tank to go invent something better or write that one line of code just that much better. I have more in my tank because of that stuff. And that, that, that blossoms out from a positive experience. Very interesting perspective. A few more clicks may be worth it if you've got the empathy and it's still a good, happy, delightful experience. Torsten Lydak, yep. love to get your thoughts on this. Torsten, talk to us. Yeah, look, I mean, I think I agree with what Paul and Dirk said, right? I mean, at the end, 
also customers on a broader level and obviously the user who's using the application is buying the emotion, not the functionality necessarily and the code, obviously. Code is cold. So you need to create something which is really appealing and which is attractive and which people like and where they have a good feeling. And this is very important. And I think this topic has been underestimated a bit in the early times of IT and solution development, where really the focus was more on functional stuff and to prove that out of 10 million transactions, you know, there is not one wrong. You know, and I think this has really changed. I think today you need to have a user-centric approach if you want to be successful. You need to have the end user in the room when you design the application and the process. He needs to be part of the journey, so to speak, you know, and needs to be the one who provides input. He's not maybe the only one. There needs to be obviously a few other functions and stakeholders being involved. But, you know, one of the big things, I guess, where we see projects failing is if the end user is not being actively involved in the design phase and in the experience definition. So I think this is really front and central for any successful digital transformation project and Mm -hmm. the user adoption, obviously. I heard some yes yeah, in the background. So I, Who was that? Sorry. Paul? Go ahead. So I, what I was just was saying was that I was thinking about this too, and I was thinking that um, IT departments are kind of the wrong place to start these things. Um, at least in, in our experience in our business doing these things, we find the most success in trying to get empathy for users outside of IT departments. IT departments, you know, by their nature, and it's not their fault, but by their nature are looking for the saving of clicks and the the quickest way to do it and dump a thousand fields on the screen to, to maybe hope that they can get a shotgun approach to, to solve any user's needs. But but the focus for this has to come from somebody in the business raising their hand and saying, oh my gosh, this is terrible, and if we make it better, we make more money. Ah, interesting. You started an interesting idea there, and I'm going to go around the table. Dirk, I do have a topic picked out from your list, but I want to go around the table. So Paul has drawn a line in the sand or put a stake in the sand. The ID department is not the right place to start designing user experience regarding user empathy. They're more based on the the facts and the figures and the clicks and all that. Okay, the mechanics, if you will. Dirk Newman, what's your thought? Where should good app development, good app design start? What part of the company or should there be an, a, a separate room with white walls and skylights and beautiful green plants? And it's called <laughs> Do Not Enter Upon Risk of Finding Out What It's Really Like to Design Delightful Apps. Go ahead, Dirk. <laughs> where should this all begin? Yeah, no, I, I, I partially agree with Paul. And, mm-hmm. um, simply because, in, at least in today's world, it still lies in IT to, to know what actually is possible and what the processes are to, in today's world, how to change something in the company. So um, I, I would take more an approach of um, th- this type of change should really be a continuum. There should be always a channel for users and everyone really, even from IT, um, suggestions to come in for change and where then people work together with the skills that are required, be it technical, be it from the business side, uh, to actually define what needs to be improved and, and, and why, actually, because not everything needs to be changed as well. And, and I think there is some, a little bit the, um, the, the, the caution that, yes, there's a lot of things that we can actually go and throw out, but some of the stuff maybe we can just leave it there and it doesn't impact, it doesn't hurt too much. And leave it so, but you need a channel, you need some way to collect the ideas from everyone and then uh, work through them together and, um, and realize on those projects, on those, on those ideas. 
Thank you, Derek. Torsten, you're up. What do you need? Okay, go ahead, Paul. Between IT and the business, I think. I think the key is IT and the business having empathy for one another in that design Ah. process. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to jump in there, but that just appeared in my That's head. That's okay. No, I know this talking. is a hot topic. I want to make sure we give Torsten some time to weigh in on this. Torsten, what's your thought? Where should it start, and, and how do you equate empathy to efficiency or to a good design? What do you think, Torsten? Well, I think, you know, obviously, if you really want to design something which is successful and which is appealing and which has adoption on the customer side, you need various stakeholders um, at the table, right? And I think I mentioned this during my previous statement. Of course, the end user, and they're, mm-hmm. they're likely outside of the IT, um, are very important as they need to provide input. They are the ones who are, at the end, consuming the solution and the functionality. Um, and they need to be happy because if they're happy, as we spoke before, you know, they will obviously use um, the solution, become more productive, and obviously also likely provide input so that the solution gets continued. However, you know, I also agree, you know, this is not the only aspect. You need to have the other stakeholders of the company, also the IT department at the table. And, you know, what we, what I would recommend, and this is usually how we engage with uh, customers, is around a design thinking process where really it's clearly laid out what is really the problem which needs to be solved and where all the stakeholders can contribute and are actively involved in the decision-making, and then there's continuous review in terms of progress, the design, the user experience, prototypes. So there is consistent feedback and interaction between all the stakeholders, and this is, from my perspective, you know, the, um, the, the best way to get any project uh, implemented successfully and also obviously get a solution which is accepted by all parties. Thank you very much. Paul, you want to wrap this one up? Because I want to pick a topic from Dirk's list quickly here. What's your thought? Uh, so my final thought is, is, is live users' heads from a psychological standpoint, understand what makes them happy, and not, even, and not from the standpoint of what makes them like what's on screen, what truly makes them happy in their day-to-day tasks, which might be outside the app itself, right? Mm-hmm. But understanding what makes people happy is the key to everything. I like that. I think that goes back to delighted or delightful in my opening. Thank you very much. Dirk Newman at Briskin talking about delighted and happy. Boy, we really made this a very human topic here, talking about people and what we love to do and how we want to be thought of and treated and addressed. And also, I love the collaborative comments from Torsten a few minutes ago about creating the the best app design. Get everybody in on the the discussion. Um, Dirk, you say aesthetics are by no means the most important part of an interface. Good aesthetics, meaning is it pretty, make it enjoyable for the user to in, to appreciate and use the app. Aesthetics give the app the personality, make it likable, give it the aura of overall purpose and intention, but you still say it's not the most important part. So, Dirk, please tell us a little bit more. <laughs> That's a, a long statement I made there. I'm, I'm yes. <laughs> impressed. No, um, it, it, it's a little bit in, 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 in the line of what we also just um, kind of touched on uh, in the previous topic. It, it really means that, yes, it, it may look nice, yeah, but if in the end of the day it still doesn't um, 
help the user to reach his goal, to do what he wants to do, to feel good even, because then, then it doesn't help. So it's the overall user experience that is in question here. So we're not only talking about a beautiful design of a user interface. We want to see the entire user experience being complete, personalized, and, and, and well um, structured for the user actually to, to have to feel that empathy, for example, to feel that delighted uh, when he when he's using the app. Because only the, the nice color will probably help a little bit. But if he doesn't see the information that he requires, the user will not be delighted, I'm I'm pretty sure. Uh, so what that means is you need to bring context as well. You need to show the right data. You need to have a, the, the, the process flow correctly and easily. And, and maybe, yes, I, I agree with Paul that it's not about the number of clicks necessarily. Uh, so may, maybe one or two clicks, as Paul says, may, may still be make the, the user feel better. But it is about uh, a process flow, the data that is available, the, the context of the information that you display at the same time. Maybe I can pick up on, on Paul's example about the, <laughs> the expense report, which I find is a, is a very good example. Uh, okay. Because uh, I, I don't think anybody in the world likes to, to make uh, expense reporting, to do expense reporting. And, um, but maybe if you can design a, a solution that brings some delight to the client, to the user, which, for example, could be an immediate feedback of how much exp expense reimbursement he will get, uh, or yeah, something that makes it uh, workable, easy to use for the user, and more, more delightful. Maybe that's an approach of, of thinking, yes, a nice design, but the context is important to make it a real good user experience. Thank you very much. Torsten, love to get your thoughts on this. What do you think? Keep it, yeah. Yeah, I think it's think? important that when we speak about user experience, right, I mean, design, you know, and obviously user interface are important, but, you know, as Dirk said, it's likely not the only point, right? You want to have a personalized app experience. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of things, you know, which likely are happening in the background where you need to have sophisticated skills and methodologies to make it easy for the, for the end user to consume such applications. So what I mean by that, for example, when you think about big data, right, all the companies have a lot of data, but the key challenge most of the companies have is how do we get, what do we do with this data? How does, do we get meaningful information out of that, in particular to, you know, the end user and to those people who are really working on the front? in a way that it's really real-time and that it uh, allows them to make effective decisions, right? So basically the whole concept to come from big data, you know, convert it into the right data set up for an individual user, you know, combined obviously, as we said, with a clean design so that it's easy to consume this information, that you can use it for decision-making and basically, you know, leverage this information to move on and make the right, uh, you know, I'm reiterating myself, making the right decision and basically drive the, uh, drive the right conclusion, I think is very important, right? And, you know, obviously we have technologies with artificial intelligence and others which are supporting those kind of things so that you can leverage those kind of, um, you know, innovation technologies to really help drive and better experience for the end customer and actually deliver a personal app uh, set up which is really tailored for the individual role of a person, a company, or in an enterprise. Thank you very much. Paul, Paul Moderman, love to get your thoughts on this. Talk to us. So I, I, I loved when one of the things that Dirk said was about 
giving the app personality. And I think that's key to, uh, to um, creating an experience. So let me give you an example. I was recently using a piece of product management software that I had a certain number of tasks to do. And so I went through and I did some programming and I finished those tasks and I was in the application and I clicked three or four times in a row to mark those tasks as complete. And then mm-hmm. on the screen, this, and I'm not kidding, this literally happened, a unicorn with a rainbow shot across the screen. Get okay? out. And the, app, and the app said to me, hey, I just celebrated because you did a bunch of good stuff. Do you want me to keep doing that? And I, and like, I didn't know that was going to happen. And then when it happened, I was like, whoa, that's so cool. So I said, yeah, keep doing that. And that experience, even though I hate checking boxes and moving things around, that little experience gave me the fuel to come back and keep doing the right stuff for this app. That was personality. It had nothing to do with whether the project was moving forward or not, but it gave me a psychological experience of motivation to, to be in there going strong. That was, that was amazing. That was personality at work there. Wow. Was it the unicorn or the rainbow or the combination, Paul? It, well, it was, it, what it did was it flew from the bottom left to the top right, and it kind of left a trail of glitter behind it. So I, just, I thought it was cool. I thought of my daughter because she would love that too. But, in, you know, but yeah, it was, it was just a great little poof magic experience. That I, didn't expect, I like that. Yet it wasn't yep. bad. I like that. E- even grown-ups, even even grown-up men like to see a unicorn with sparkles streaming across yes, the screen. Yes, they do. <laughs> and nothing is wrong with that, and that's the point. Yes. Torsten, we're almost out of time, Torsten, but I do want to have you address one more topic. I can give you two minutes for this, and then we're going to go around the table for the predictions. There's a lot to talk about still. Torsten told me in his notes, he said, to embrace design thinking and agile development techniques with several sprints, and I know he says fail, but fail fast, companies will be required to adjust their business processes, their budget allocations, and decision-making. So, Torsten, just give us a 90-second overview of, of the impact of this statement, please. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So, yeah, what we experience, obviously, in many customer projects is, is, you know, when you get started, everybody's super excited about design thinking and natural development techniques. And you even ask, you know, are you bringing this in as part of the process? And, of course, we do, right? And together with the ecosystem and SIP, obviously, with their own practice as well. Now, I think what is sometimes underestimated on the customer side, and I think this is where companies and the organization needs to be very well aware of and changes, that if you do those kind of agile development projects where you have basically multiple sprints, where you have permanent interaction between the project team and obviously the person and the vendor who is basically interacting with you, you need to be able to make ad hoc decisions, right? You need to say, well, you know, this kind of functionality stays in, this goes out, we want to change this design, you know, and some of those things have obviously direct budget implications, which means you need to empower your people in the room during this process to be able to make those decisions. And, you know, what we experience quite often is that we talk about agile development talk about agile innovation enabling the ecosystem to be fast in developing those applications, but then on the customer side, it takes very long on the decision-making, like in a traditional project, like it was a fixed-time project over a year, to come up you know, with the right feedback and the guidance. So I think this is very important you know, that companies are aware of who are going to embark on those kind of transition or transformational projects that you also put the right infrastructure and the right 
organization in place and the right processes who are supporting this kind of innovation and um, mode two deployments. Thank you very much, Torsten. You know what? I'm going to start the predictions round with you. So, Torsten, Lydic at SAP, I'm going to give you 60 seconds now. Look into the crystal ball. I'm fond of 2020 because it's only three New Year's Eves away. Think about that one. We've been talking about it for ages. 2020, that's Barbara Walters, my best impression. So, Torsten Lydic, <laughs> take a look into the crystal ball anytime you want. It could be next week, next year, or I don't know, 2025. What will change significantly about the topic of app dev, app design, the empathy, the human side, the delightfulness, plus the efficiency and the effectiveness. Go ahead, 60 seconds. I'm ready for your prediction. Torsten, go. Okay. So, well, my prediction is first that the user experience will always stay relevant and a central part of any solution design and any kind of digital transformation project also in the future. However, what I think what is important to consider is that our kids are much more exposed, obviously, to social media, connected device games, and also, obviously, even collaboration tools in school and other environments, right? So I think the way how those solutions are being designed and how they are eventually impacting the user experience based on their experience and our kids obviously navigate today already completely different through applications and screen as we do, will certainly have a significant impact in the future for all the companies and the com- so companies who build applications like SAP and the partners here on the phone. Thank you very much. Veet, Veet, quick, quick. Paul Moderman, Mindset Consulting, 60 seconds. What's your prediction, sir? My prediction, and I don't know the year time frame for this, but my prediction is that we're talking about apps and app dev. In the near future, apps go away. Okay? So think about your Google Home, your, uh, your Alexa devices and that kind of stuff. Right now, you can kind of get some stuff working with that. You can say, hey, Alexa, book me a flight to whatever. I think that that's going to continue to go and push into the enterprise where all of a sudden you don't need to know where to go click for stuff. You just ask, and the system tells you what's going on. Hmm, interesting. Okay, I like that kind of prediction. And now, Dirk Newman at Briskin, I'm ready for your prediction. You've got 60 seconds. Go ahead, Dirk. Interesting, you, Paul. I'm I'm pretty much on the same line. I see that the, the artificial intelligence will, will really increase. I mean, that's not a surprise to anyone, but it's, it'll be much faster than a lot of people think. And, um, and those devices, those, those artificial intelligence will be part of a lot of devices. And then um, the computer and the app, and it's, it's just a matter of, of where to display, where to click, where to see something, where to hear something. But in the end of the day, I think it's all going to be interconnected and all be run in the back end by artificial intelligence engines and uh, huge databases. Thank you very much. Great predictions from all three of you. And I have a prediction. I'll be back tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Business Channel with our flagship show, Coffee Break with Game Changers. We have listeners all over the world. Very interesting topic. It's kind of uh, a side of what we've been talking about today. The topic is... AI at work, is human-centric AI possible in the workforce, in HR? 
what are CHROs doing to use artificial intelligence in the workplace? Very interesting topic. We have Dr. Patty Fletcher at SAP Success Factors, Stephanie Statura, and Darwin Diano, both from Deloitte. So join me 11 a.m. tomorrow. I want to thank my three panelists, special people, very smart. Thank you, gentlemen, for your great prep and for your great insights and energy here. Shout out, of course, to Pam Dunn at SAP for putting together this wonderful panel. Pam, you really knocked this one out of the park. This is their last show of the season. So so here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Paul Moderman at Mindset Consulting, just like Dirk Newman at Briskin, and just like Torsten Leidick at SAP. I'm Bonnie DeGram signing off. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 11 a.m. Have a great day. And thank you to Aaron, our engineer extraordinaire. Okay, that's it. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.